to, to embrace risk responsibly requires being able to characterize the risk and understand you know, the, the magnitudes. And, that, and that's where the CISO's expertise comes in is, is, the, is their, their unique you know, knowledge and insight for how systems interact with security, interact with sort of the broader sort of business um, you know, dynamics of, of their home organization. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's AJ Grotto. William J. Perry International Security Fellow and Founding Director of the Program on Geopolitics, Technology, and Governance at Stanford University. He serves as the faculty lead for the cyber policy specialization that the university offers through its Master's in International Policy Program. He's also a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution, and he's talking with me today about cybersecurity spend versus cybersecurity efficacy. AJ, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. It's good to be here, Alan. Thanks for having me. All right, so Cybersecurity Ventures uh, says that 2023 spending is growing 15% year over year. Um, between awareness training and the tech stack, they're estimating $198 plus billion in spend this year on cybersecurity. Uh, TechCrunch Magazine analyzed the estimated shrinkage of budgets this year based on economic conditions. They said 45% of budgets remain unchanged or even increased despite the economic downturn. Uh, 33.3% of budgets were cut by an average of 21.2%. So if you add all those figures up, we're, we're holding pretty steady on spend, maybe a tad down. But meanwhile, the, uh, you know, the, the overall uh, cost year over year is going up in terms of what we are spending, right? So why is this? What's going on here? When does this end? Like if we just keep spending more and more every year, What's what's the goal? What's the limit? What's the end goal? What's the state that we're trying to achieve here with this perpetual spending more and more every year? Well, that that, that that's the billion dollar question, right? And the fact that we don't have a clear answer is a big part of the reason why organizations feel compelled to spend so much money on cyber resilience. Um, and with not necessarily, uh, you know, the kind of increase in resilience we would expect to see from that kind of uh, money going in. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So, all right, if if our goal is to spend to address need, then let's talk about kind of what some of the need looks like, right? Uh, Info Security Magazine says that ransomware attacks surged by 74% in 2023. Wired reports an increase for 2023 as well. Uh, we dig into the Verizon and IBM annual reports, you know, cost of a breach, data breach incident report, et cetera. Uh, and we see a pretty steady pattern of year-over-year -year increases. Uh, Verizon report even showing a 13% increase with a curve that's trending upward more quickly every year. In other words, it's not just a steady line going up. It's a curve that's almost shooting to <laughs> a near vertical state <laughs> as it progresses. So if the problem is growing far outpacing the spend – where are we really at? Well, what, what, where we are, I think, is we, we have put an awful lot of the security burden on customers of IT to manage systems. And, you know, that, that approach uh, you know, makes a lot, has made a lot of sense for, for a long time because of how uh, diverse the, the, the sort of the, the 
business environments are where IT exists. Uh, you know, the myriad, you know, applications and, and, and business functions that, um, that companies fulfill with IT and that, you know, re- requiring or expecting the vendors to do more, um, you know, would, could have an impact on, on an innovation. And I, I think that we, have, we are quickly reaching a point where the balance ought to shift where um, we should uh, be asking the question, why, why are these systems so hard to secure? Right? Why do organizations have to spend this kind of money to lock down um, their, their IT suite? Um, it'd be like with, you know, with an automobile, right? If, if, you, if you buy a new car and you know, there's, there's no warranty, the car keeps breaking down, uh, Customers would begin to wonder, "Gosh, like this isn't right." Right. You know Why what's going on this here? Particular car. What am I? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? And now, one answer would be, "Well, you sell that car and you go buy a new one." Right. Now, the problem is that with with IT, it's not that simple, right? It, it's not it's not easy to switch, and that's where I think I'm an awful lot of the um, the, the the ability of vendors to shift risk onto their customers comes from is that 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 difficulty in switching to an alternative uh, IT provider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, there's another, to extend your metaphor a little bit even, it's almost like if you consider us to be them what deal with the risk, right, um, then really what we're saying is I bought my car and my car payment is, I'm going to make up numbers now, $500 a month, but my insurance policy is rapidly costing me 1000 a month. And, and why is my insurance more expensive than my car, right? That's, that's kind of also where I think the metaphor, you know, for the car kind of extends is, you know, at what point are the protections we're offering no longer worth the cost of the protection, right? In other words, at some point, the business can declare it's not just about, you know, rip and replace and, 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 and lift and shift on IT solutions. But at some point, the business can say, if the cost of securing X is greater than some number, um, it's just not even worth investing. We'll just risk losing X because X only costs Y dollars in the first place, right? So for any given value of a thing, you have to you have to consider the cost of what does it take, you know, what what does it really damage us if we lose it, if it gets breached, if it gets stolen, if it gets ransomed, if it gets vandalized, da 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 versus what are we spending to protect it? And at some point, you know, there's a ratio there. And and it's interesting to me, I've I've worked in businesses where um sort of the general rule of thumb was for any given spend, you need to give us, you know, I've seen, I've seen companies that say at least three X return on investment, or maybe even 10 X return on investment. So let's say it's an IT investment, not a security investment. You know, I'm going to go get us this whole brand new ERM solution. That's going to do this and this and this and this for the company. And the, and the CIO has to prove up, we're going to actually save money. We're going to, we're going to make money. The, the, the return on investment is there, right? It's a lot harder, I think, for us security folks to talk about return on investment, right? Um, so, so how do we how do we bridge that gap? How do we solve that? It's a lot harder, and th- this is an experience that I know many many in the business have, have encountered before. Where, you know, you, you walk into a boardroom uh, with your presentation, uh, for your, with your for your for your budget, and you get asked, okay, how, how are we doing? Right. Meanwhile, you've got you know, product team can go in and show a new product with that you know that fill in the blank X you know uh, multiplier on on return on investment right uh the, I, the security people go in and they have a they have a stoplight <laughs> red <laughs> yellow green to highlight how they're doing now things have gotten you know better over the years we, we, there, there there are products out there that that allow 
uh, for more um, for for better you know communication about risk from you know security uh, professionals to uh, board and and sort of the business leadership. But even so, a, an awful lot of this spend, I think, is. Um, it's 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 almost like an insurance policy for executives' reputations. Mm. Uh, you mentioned that that the that in effect the security spend has been flatlined, uh, despite uh, you know the the sort of like some of the cataclysmic um, financial problems uh, that that some of the that the, some big companies have had. That that's pretty remarkable. And I think you know what what executive what C suite executive wants to be in a position to explain to their stakeholders uh, that they cut the security budget uh, right before a ransomware attack happened. Right, right. So there is this kind of, there's, there's, nobody wants to be that person. So there's this natural pressure to spend more uh, without necessarily looking at some of the underlying fundamentals that, that to your earlier point about that curve, curving and not flatlining, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a problem. It is a it is a very real problem, and it, you know it's interesting because it's it's about to me it's about an efficacy gap, right? We we see the the cost of the bad things, the likelihood of the bad things on this steady super duper climb, and then we see at a much slower climb our spend. And, and to your point, economic downturn this year, we see some budgets even go flat or maybe even go down a bit, thus just increasing that gap. And if that gap is what we're chasing, how do we articulate the gap? upstairs, right? Because, you know, the, the way I manage my budgets is I talk about risk and I talk about specific risk and I talk about here's what the business values and here's the risk to this thing, the business values, and here's the specific technology solutions we can deploy or cost and spend and it might be people process technology, whatever it is, to address that risk. And, and so it's kind of on a per risk basis. And that way, for me, historically, if budgets get slashed here and there, um, it's less of an impact to me because it's it's really just a dialogue of, oh, okay, so we're willing to accept these these three risks on the bottom of the list then. Uh, we're only going to tackle these seven instead of the ten we originally planned on. No no worries. Just understand that's what you're doing is not addressing three of your ten risks, right? And you have that kind of natural conversation with the business that's very risk-centric. But we're chasing after something that we're never going to catch, and, and to your point, you don't want to be the guy that said, hey, I'm going to be the radical CISO to cut budgets and then ransomware hits the very next week. You know, you don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, you can't walk upstairs and say, oh, yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an infinite curve on the bad guy side, so it needs to be an infinite curve on our side. We need to just keep spending forever. Like, that's not going to fly either. And, and so I wonder almost tactically how we tackle this, right? Because we've got tech stack, we've got awareness training, and we've got GRC. That's kind of, to me, that's kind of the three pillars of spend, if you will, in, in a CISO's <laughs> program. And so what's our spend story there versus this looming threat landscape versus this curve that's definitely heading, you know, dramatically upward for the bad guys? Like, how do we tactically tackle, you know, we got tech stack, we got awareness, we got GRC. What, what, what else can we do? Well, threat and exit. That's the other strategy. Exit in the sense of changing, changing your, your providers. Um, now that's easier said than done, right? There's, 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 um, you know, a, a cost associated with, with, with changing providers. Now I'm talking to talking specifically about you know, operating systems, productivity, uh, those areas. Um, there's, you know, there are some alternatives, but you know, it's not like that there's a ton of competition, even, even beyond, I think, you know, um, some of the big incumbent players, 
Uh, but that that's one that's you know so if, if I were you know if I were negotiating contracts with IT providers, I would I would I would look for opportunities to buy myself flexibility to switch, right? To fire my my IT provider if 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 um, if circumstances warrant. Um, that's one. And, and 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 if it turns out that as I'm negotiating my contracts and it, it it's hard to do that, look, I I think that that's the kind of experience where I hope. And would would encourage your listeners to talk amongst each other, uh, share these experiences because that that is that is a hint of a much bigger problem in the marketplace. One that begins to sort of raise some antitrust or at least you know competitive questions. Um, and so that's that's a strategy. Uh, I think the other strategy, and I, I like the way you know you talked about your conversation. Um, you know how you approach the, some of the budget challenges. Be, being really clear about where we accept risk is, I think, vitally important, but it's not a conversation that executives like to have because they're always worried about rolling snake eyes, right? That, gosh, you know, if, if we if we make a conscious decision to not buy down this risk, and that happens that, then that to be risk the one that gets bites us in the butt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, but I think the answer there is, you know, I, I mean – Having having a a process that documents these decisions, that uh, explains why they were made, uh, that really makes clear that there was business judgment involved, sound business judgment, and um, you know, in, infinite spend is not an option. So we are essentially in the business of. I mean, I, we often say we're in the business of risk mitigation. I would argue we're actually in the business of risk acceptance. Right, Be, being being thoughtful and strategic, and honest about where we're accepting risk. Um, and I, that, 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 that's a, that's a, that's a paradigm, a, a bit of a paradigm shift in, 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 in how we, uh, communicate with, 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 with boards and, and, and with, you know, senior business leaders. But I think that is, you know, a, a place where, um, where, where I think we can begin to get a lot more clarity about where to spend money and, and where not to spend money. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, it's risk management is the phrase I use because that's inclusive of mitigation, acceptance, transference, um, you know, partial mitigation, full mitigation, you know, all the, all the, all the possible dispositions are all kind of under that management umbrella. And I think we forget as CISO sometimes that, you know, there may be times when the CISO is the most risk tolerant in the room. And, and that's not an unhealthy place to be necessarily. Right. Well, uh, yes. Say, say more about that. Why? why what? Yeah. So, so there, there are times that I will look at my own budget and my own spend, and and let's say it's that economic downturn. Let's say that I'm part of that 45 percent whose budget remains unchanged or even increases, um, or rather, I'm not part of that 45 percent. I'm part of that 33.3 percent who 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 is told your your budget's going down. I have to make some calls as the CISO, some hard calls, and I'm not just saying these three risks aren't getting addressed per my earlier statement. What I'm really saying is, as the CISO, I recommend these three are the three we don't address. And there's a huge distinction there because this is, you know, this ties into a conversation, Malcolm Harkins, you know, former CISO at Intel. Um, he's, he's, he and I are both um, in total lockstep on this paradigm that, you know, people complain all the time. CISOs don't have a real seat at the table. And yet these are the same people who say, Oh, oh, oh but the CISO doesn't own the risk. The CISO just advises on the risk. And I'm like, there's no one else with a C title who gets away with I only advise I don't own. Yeah. <laughs> and so at some point to me the CISO has to own. The CISO is not just blindly saying, well these three risks at the bottom of the list are the ones we're not doing. Well why are they at the bottom of the list? The CISO determined which 
order they are on the list. The CISO is recommending that these are the specific three we don't address. And again, snake eyes may happen, right? That's a great, <laughs> it's a great analogy, by the way. I love that. Just, you know, we choose to accept this risk and then we roll snake eyes. Oh, dear. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the CISO's reputation, it's the CISO's word and the CISO's brand attached to that decision as to which ones we're not going to tackle. There's, there's an advice-giving component that, that is there for sure. But if you give advice in your realm of expertise, you are ultimately owning it. And, and the analogy I use is, uh, is a lawyer, general counsel at the company, is going to say to somebody, oh, well, I wouldn't put that clause in the contract. That could backfire on us. Or, oh, go ahead and accept this other clause. It's fine. Nothing, nothing can bite us on the butt. And then after that clause is accepted, somehow it does bite us on the butt. You go back to that lawyer and say, you made a bad call. I'm holding you accountable. You're a bad lawyer. Right. And, and you're going to get written up in this year's performance review for having lost us money or you're going to get fired or whatever it might be. How is that any different for the CISO? If I'm the one saying, let's go this way and not that way or let's go that way and not this way, um, there should be repercussions for my making that call. And so at the end of the day, if you're fully embracing, in my mind, the CISO journey, then you're also embracing the fact that there will be times that you are very risk tolerant and you are the one saying, you know what? It's an incredibly slim likelihood that this thing pops us. It could pop us. We could roll snake eyes. Don't get me wrong. But if I had to, if I had to cut my budget somewhere, this is where I would cut it. This would be the one I let ride for another year. And you have to own that. So sometimes I think it's okay for the CISO to be risk, you know, embracing the risk. Let's pause right there to hear a brief word from Seraphic Security. Seraphic helps you defend your digital workplace with security and DLP for every browser and essential desktop apps like Microsoft Teams, Slack, Asana, and Notion. Protect against compromise and prevent data loss via the web with Seraphic. Learn more at seraphicsecurity.com. Well, I, yeah, I, th I think that's right. And I, I think, though, that, that to, to embrace risk responsibly requires being able to characterize the risk and understand yes. you know, the, the magnitudes. And, that, and that's where the CISO's expertise comes in, is, is, the, is their, their unique you know, knowledge and insight for how systems interact with security, interact with sort of the broader sort of business, um, you know, dynamics of, of their home organization. And we, we had this, we had this stretch of time. So I, I, I served in government uh, earlier in my career and, you know, we, we had a, we had a difficult time recruiting uh, CISOs to the federal government because of this dynamic where breach happens, you know, CISOs head gets, you know, put on a stake in some ceremony, you know, in front of Congress, which isn't always fair because, you know, if, I mean, in, inherent to making even the right risk decision is you still, sometimes you're going to roll snake eyes. That's just, that's just the way it goes. And Absolutely. so Absolutely. in that case, you know, I would say, okay, the CISO is culpable if they calculated the odds wrong, right? That's a problem. If they, uh, you know, if, if the dice, just to torture the analogy, right? If the dice they were using weren't the right dice, right? Um, in other words, you know, if, if, if the CISO says, look, I think there's a 5% chance that this happens and that happens, well, then the postmortem ought to go back and look at, okay, was it reasonable or not for the CISO to make that, come to that conclusion? Yeah, absolutely. If it was and reasonable, they did the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A full agreement. And there's also plenty of times, too, where the CISO is the one giving the guidance and the business is rejecting that guidance. And what's crazy to me is how many times you see the CISO's head on a stake for that scenario. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait, I got an email where I warned you guys 
that this right. was a big risk, <laughs> that this could be the thing, that this would be the one that blew up, and when it blew up, it would impact us in the following ways. And you guys chose to ignore my guidance. So, so there's there's plenty of scenarios where the CISO is is definitely not you know held held accountable or shouldn't be held accountable. Oftentimes is anyway. Uh, what is it? Chief impending scapegoat officer is the running joke. Um, <laughs> so you know there's plenty of scenarios where they shouldn't be held accountable. But I think if they if they go through and they measure it and they do the thing and they and they say you know what I'm willing to accept this risk you know and then yeah snake eyes happens. I th- I think there should be some accountability and some and some looking at the CISO. To your point, you got to dig in a little bit. How sane and rational was this call, right? Like, let's let's dig into this, right? Well, and and, and to and to, to 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 perform that that forensic sort of you know uh, that management forensic operation requires having getting over. I think this. I think we've gotten better on this front. Getting over the idea that security is simply the CISO's problem. Uh, you know, there's there's a, obviously a fine line between. You know, wanting to ensure that the CISO is not, because I agree with you. I mean, a CISO, a CISO that's merely advisory, as opposed to one who who actually owns the risk that they're responsible for managing. Is that, that that's an important distinction? But that that shouldn't mean that the rest of the organization is totally off the hook if again snake eyes are are rolled right, and and to be able to then go back and have the have the organization make that assessment about whether the CISO made the right call or not requires some expertise, right? It requires some, some minimal, you know, at a minimum, uh, some, some pretty, you know, uh, significant fluency in the CISO's job and, and what, it, what it is that he or she does on a day-to-day basis, how they go about making decisions. Um, you know, ima- imagine, you know, to take financial risk as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a comparison. We would never expect you know the CFO to bear all of the financial risk for a company. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. So they they, they may be in response. They may be in the. They may be responsible. Uh, you know, um, for for financial risk in ways that the CISO isn't. But that's not to say that the the rest of the board, the rest of senior management, you know, isn't you know both pretty fluent in in finance, and um, you know. Uh, an unrelated, uh, you know, from the, the, the CFO's job, right? In the sense that they, they, they too have a set of responsibilities. And so it, it's, I mean, it, it comes back to, in many ways, mainstreaming this, the CISO's function um, as not this kind of niche, you know, you know, highly specialized, quirky, even, you know, job function within an organization, but, but one that is truly, you know, we, we put the C in there for a reason, right? Um, you know, you know, I'm back at the the general counsel metaphor, and I think I think this is going to complement what you're saying really well, and I think it'll sort of sort of seal that seal that sentiment. Um, everybody in the company should be concerned about legal implications of things. Everyone has a stake in that. I don't care if you are a, a director or a VP. If you sign a really obviously stupid clause in a contract, that's on you. It's not general counsel's fault every time somebody signs something stupid on a, on a contract. General counsel is there to be consulted. General counsel should be held accountable when they consult, when they offer that opinion. But but it's everybody's responsibility to not, you know, like like don't sign a don't sign a contract that says liability, the entire company's net worth times 10 goes to you if any mistakes are made ever ever. Like I don't care who you are, you don't sign that, right? Um so so I think it's that same metaphor, right? It's 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 
it's the CISO when they step in, when they advise, when they give the guidance should definitely be held accountable to what they say. But by the same token, everybody should have a vested interest. Everybody should have a role. There should be um, sort of a company-wide awareness that, hey, we don't sign stupid things in contracts, right? Or in this case, we don't do stupid things with cybersecurity, right? Like, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to invent a whole new product and put it outside the firewall. Like, like, you know, like everyone should know, don't do that. So there's some basics there. I think, what do you think of that metaphor? I think that kind of, kind of clarifies. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think that's right. And we, we have been on this journey now as far as trying to mainstream, um, cyber risk, uh, I would argue since at least the NIST cybersecurity framework came out some 10 years ago. I mean, to me, that was kind of the, that was kind of the moment in time when, um, at least you know, non-cyber people said yes, cyber, <laughs> you know, it's important and something we need to care about. Um, and so, you know, we're 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 ten years in, and it, it takes time for organizations to to change. It takes time for job roles to mature. Um, the problem, of course, is that the threat actors aren't going to sit around and wait for us to get our organizational acts together. And, you know, so I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I come back to, you know, in an ideal world, right. You'd have a, a board, a C-suite um, that, that um, where, where everybody sort of is cyber literate, right. Is risk, 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 cyber risk, resilient, literate. Um, and the CISO, you know, his job is to, you know, own, own, risk but but to do so in that sort of team environment the same way that that financial risk is kind of owned and managed in that team environment that world could have i was gonna say we, we we could we could get to that world and i still am not confident <laughs> that 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 you know that curve you mentioned at the, t- at the top of the program is going to start to flatten anytime soon without some other changes right right so so it almost becomes a question of do we do we chase the curve or or do we get clever right I think I think I think I think chasing the curve is a losing proposition. I think so too. I think so too. So, so it's interesting. I I, I threw some I threw threw this out on LinkedIn. I told LinkedIn this morning, like, hey, I'm recording a show on this topic, and what are some what are some crazy thoughts you guys have in terms of what we ought to explore and where we ought to go? And I found an interesting Chris Roberts, who's been on the show before, uh, Adrian Wright, who's been on the show before, both basically said like, quit spending the dollars, quit chasing the new shiny things, quit chasing the curve, get your basics in order. Like, like know your back assets, to basics. know what you yep. have and where they are, like, like back to back to basics. Like let's start there people. And, and if we're doing that, we're achieving far more than we are spending another million dollars on more shiny things with blinky lights. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Now, you know, different organizations are going to have different risk um, profiles, uh, both in terms of the complexity of their, their environment, the types of th- the threat actors that they face uh, and so, I mean, the, what, what I love about the back to basics is that that applies to any organization, whether it's a small to medium sized business, whether it's a big global financial conglomerate, um, starting with the basics is, is pretty basic, you know, and, and um, mo- most, um, you know, most intrusions happen as a result of adversaries uh, exploiting known vulnerabilities, right? Unpatched vulnerabilities. Um, you know, your your listeners know this, but a lot, a lot of a lot of lay people have this vision of you know cyber attackers exploiting zero day vulnerabilities when the reality is actually much more mundane. And it's, it's the bad guys exploiting vulnerabilities that either uh, you know 
weren't patched because they 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 the, the owner didn't know that he needed to be patched or because of a risk decision to prioritize you know a different set of of mitigations for a different threat or different risk um but uh getting back to the basics i mean yeah that's 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 basic I like that. So Scott Foote, also on LinkedIn, um, and I've, I've been following his stuff for, for years now on LinkedIn. Uh, he's talking about false equivalencies here between these two growth statistics, right? He's basically saying, like, like his, uh, his model is, just because mugging is on the rise in most cyber cities more than doubling year over year uh, does not mean that each individual or company needs to double or triple their spend on cybersecurity to address those muggings, right? In other words, don't feel too bad about this one curve is shooting up, Um you're addressing your own specific and known risks. And maybe just because that higher curve is there doesn't necessarily mean that correlates, right? And I think that's an yep. important thing. And this this ties into what you were saying about kind of your risk landscape is unique to you, right? Just because there's more ransomwares out there in general doesn't mean you're the one at most risk for ransomware. You may have already laid those foundations. You may have already done those basics we talked about. You may already have a much more protected posture versus that ransomware attack already. Right. So so I think that's an important distinction to make, too. So I think Scott had a good point there. Yeah, agreed. All right. So Paul Robinson, um, he says it's always a relative discussion. It costs more to protect more. Is there an actual formula you can use to quantify how much you should spend based on the risk associated? Right. And, and that's that's really, to me, the million dollar question. And, and I think we talk about things like fair and we talk about things like Bayesian curves and Monte Carlo sims, and we can talk about quantifying that risk. But then we still have to have, back to my earlier point, what is that general formula? Let's imagine that I can tell you exactly this risk is a 90% likelihood to occur, and when it occurs, it's going to cost you exactly $17.32. Okay, great. So I've gotten that level of quantification down. Um, beautiful. Brilliant. Great for me. What's the formula to address that? Is it one third of seventeen thirty two and no more? Is it one tenth of seventeen thirty two and no more? Like, like what's our formula, right? Like that's I think the part that's missing. And and I wonder, you know, you look at financial risk, and those guys do have models, and those guys do have formulas, and they do have pretty standard um, approaches and methodologies. But of course, financial risk has been around how long? Um, and I wonder if there's not something we shouldn't be creating in cyber, like FAIR and, and Monte Carlo and Bayesian, great. You're on the front half of the equation, but it's that back half of the equation, the, the remediation quantification and the formula to explain that quantification versus the risk you know, measurement and quantification. Like, is that what we're missing? Does that solve all this, if we can invent that? There's been a, a huge amount of research, both uh, within academia, uh, but especially within industry on trying to quantify risk. Um, you know, for, for uh, really for 15 years, um, 20 years. And my judgment is no one has cracked the code <laughs> yet. Yeah, I um, agree. And right. And, and, you know, and, and so th there, there are some really good tools out there that, that, that I think are, are valuable, you know, like, like security ratings is one example, you know, security scorecard, bit site produce good products that are data driven that, um, you know, as long as you know how to interpret them, um, I was going to say, my, my one challenge with those guys is, are they grabbing the right data? Full agreement, they're data-driven. But yeah. but is whether yeah. or not I have this one web server patched indicative of how my internal security landscape looks, right? Yeah, like, that, that's, that's yep. Yeah, that's a, it's a fair question. Yeah, yeah, it's a fair question. And um, yeah, I, I'll leave it to them to, to, to answer. Uh, right, right. But it is data-driven. But to your point, it is data-driven. It's data-driven. Data -driven. It is, it is and, you know, and I think they, they, they're able to produce some unique 
insights about trends that um, you know that that affect uh, companies at an individual level, but also sectors. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to dwell too much on 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 one you know, particular methodology. Um, I do think that that one one challenge that that I think we face is sort of the what aboutism kind of you know I love I love the the, the muggy the mugger example uh, because you, you can imagine psychologically uh, you know the the, the so if, if, for, for people who you know uh, belong to like next door and tune into their neighborhood conversations um, the odds are if, if you just went off of the data from your next door newsfeed, you would probably think that you live in a crime riddled neighborhood, even if you're, you know, in Mayberry, right? Just because that's what people talk about, right? P- people don't, people sort of take for granted things that work fine, th- safe streets. It's only when bad things happen that they, that they, that they get blipped. Yeah. How many, how and many so, average reviews are there on Yelp, right? Like so, yeah, everybody right, goes to the yeah. extremes. And so what you see is, you know, people saying, well, gosh, like I, you know, I'm no longer going to let my child go out of the house after six o'clock, just to make an example of. It's like, well, okay, you're, you're, you know, if you were to actually make a risk-informed decision, they're far more likely to, you know, get, you know, hit by a car, right, walking to school than they are, right, something bad happening after after six o'clock. But that's not the way human minds work, right? We're we're sort of wired to to look for look for these kind of heuristic decision-making um, tools. Um, in many cases, because of the way I think the the, the incentives for security and, and who ultimately pays when snake eyes get rolled, that that um, that not spending more money is a rational business decision, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And, and we're back to the CISO uh, being. And we're back to this. Yeah, and, and I'll give you an example here. So. Um, what was it, about 10 years ago, uh, you know, there was this famous uh, incident involving Target, right? Target, uh, the, retail, the retailer Target. And, you know, Target um, suffered this, this breach, um, involved their, their HVAC vendor of memory serves, who was able to kind of swim upstream and, and breach a bunch of credit card information. Um, in their financial statements, uh, Target uh, kind of kept the running tally of how much money this incident cost them. Um, so they uh, somewhere in the order of three hundred million dollars, roughly speaking. Uh, insurance covered part of it. Now that's 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 a lot of money, right? Don't get me wrong. That, that's 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 big bucks. But you know, for a company like Target, there's this phenomenon in retail called shrinkage. Shrinkage is a euphemism for merchandise leaving the shelves right, right, mysteriously. Right. Loss prevention uh, failed. Loss prevention failed, and. There's a survey that um, the National Retail Federation, a trade group, does um, annually uh, of its members uh, on shrinkage rates. And in general, a shrinkage rate of between 1%, 1.5%, that's pretty good uh, as, as a percentage of annual revenue. Now, Target at the time of this breach was a $70 billion annual revenue company. You start doing the math and it's like, okay, so they lose between – 700 million and a billion dollars a year to shrinkage. That that is accepted loss. That is accepted risk, right? right Coming back right. to our earlier conversation. So 300 million on a cyber incident, what else? Spread over a couple of years on top of that. So one could argue did they, I mean 
did they make the right risk decision? You could make an argument that they did, right? By not mitigating. And so, and, and, that, and that, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have because you know, were talking about, obviously, you know, an incident that, that was a huge hassle for lots of credit card people owners like me who I, I I was, you know, had to change my credit card. That was a hassle. But look, Target didn't bear that cost. I did. The credit card companies did. The credit card companies, I think they were able to extract some money out of Target, but it wasn't, it wasn't if memory serves, I think they I think the settlement was like 30 or 50 million dollars. Um so so and you know, I mean there there are an awful lot of cases where where the, the the rash the rational thing to do for 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 a business is to accept risk. Um, now, where you know where where things go south is when the 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 people who bear the costs of those decisions when when they're not the same as the people who are making those risk decisions. That's where you end up with all sorts of mischief. We're, we're back to right? Lee Iacocca and the exploding Ford Pintos. Uh, do you know that story <laughs> there you from go. the seventies? <laughs> They, yeah, they ran yeah. the analysis and they realized these cars are exploding and some people are going to die. And they ran the analysis and said, if if X percent of people die and sue us for an average amount of Y, it's going to cost us a total of Z versus fixing this is going to cost us three Z. We're not going to do it. Yep. And and they and it's they a, let the a risk rational from, decision from a strictly financial risk decision. It was a sound decision. There's the ethical implications of they're letting people die. <laughs> so, it's 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 definitely nested and much larger than just that just that financial argument. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And and in other other cases, I mean, I, I think about um, denial of service attacks uh, as an example of of analogous to uh, pollution, where you know, for one of the one of the um, the attack methodologies that 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 uh, some of these bot hunters use is they'll, they'll go after you know, I, I, you know kind of consumer IP based goods like you know baby monitors things like that, and what they what they do is they're very smart. They they'll they'll compromise a baby monitor for example you know as, as part of their you know the baby monitor may have a hard coded password um, or some other you know awful sort of security attribute um, that the vendor didn't care or think to to fix. Um, and so what, what the hacker will do is compromise that device and use it to carry out attacks on third parties, right? Thousands so, of baby monitors. become Thousands like, of baby monitors. Know. And yeah. what, what, what they won't do is interfere with the, the user's enjoyment of their baby monitor, right? So if I, if I have one of these baby monitors, I'm not, I'm not losing the ability to monitor my child, right? Um, I bear no cost f- from that that poor security. The vendor certainly bears no cost. Uh, so the result is no one, I, I, I make a risk decision as an owner to not change my password. Um, the, the, the vendor makes you know a risk decision to have admin as the default password for every device, right? Neither of us bear the cost in terms of the, the security. It's, it's the victim that, of that, the botnet. Huge, yeah. It's pollution, right? It, it's, it's, it's analogous to the way that, 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 we can think I about you. Uh, air pollution. I get you. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. I'm just throwing coke bottles in the river. That's all I'm doing. I'm yeah, and so the, and the, uh, I think these problems are rampant <laughs> in 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 uh, in, si- in 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 software in particular. Yeah, um, full agreement. And, and there's another really interesting and kind of uh, unfortunate uh, manifestation of of some of these economic problems. There's there's this really famous uh, article that. Um, a guy named George Akerlof, an economist named George Akerlof, wrote uh, in, in, in the early 1970s about a market for lemons. And uh, what, what he basically showed is that if you had a marketplace 
uh, for used cars. He was using cars as kind of a model. Uh, so, he, so he asks the reader, imagine a used car marketplace where you have two cars, lemons and cherries. They're identical in every respect, except lemons have some hidden internal defect that only the owner of that car knows about. So the buyer sees two identical cars. Now, over time, what ends up happening, what he showed, what he modeled, was that over time, um, cherries disappear from the marketplace and you end up with a market full of lemons because you, you kind of work through the logic. Okay, if I'm a buyer of, of used cars, um, I, you know, word gets out that actually there are some lemons, right, among the, you know, in the marketplace. I'm going to stop paying full price for cherries because I'm not going to be 100% confident that I'm going to I'm going to get a cherry. So I'm going to want to, I'm going to, I'm going to expect a discount on the price. Now owners of cherries say, wait a minute, like I've got I, I know I've got a cherry. I'm not accepting a discount. I'm pulling my car out of the market. I'm just right. Gonna, and so over time, it. it's good. I know I'm going to keep I'm, it. I can keep it. Yeah. So you. Yeah, so you end up with this market full of lemons, and I would argue that this, that, that much we, we have a software market of lemons, um, where where an awful lot of software suffers from the same problem, um, the inability or the difficulty that consumers, uh, you know, whether ordinary consumers like us or or, or you know business you know enterprise consumers, uh, have a hard time discerning whether or not one product is more secure than the other. And whenever that becomes the case, there is a strong pressure for um, for uh, markets for 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 uh, lemons to take over the marketplace, and I think that's where we live in. I get it. I get it. Well, listen, AJ Grotto, thank you so much for this uh, fascinating conversation. We kind of veered all over the map, but this was really, really good stuff. Uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Anytime. And thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. 